Welcome, friends, and thank you for listening. I'm Scott Sullivan, Discipleship Catalyst with the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, and our team exists to strengthen Georgia Baptist churches in the area of discipleship. We've developed three tools just for you. The Watershed Principle, which identifies the six main ministries of the church that must be healthy to produce world-impacting disciple-makers. The Spark Conference. Last year's conference saw over 33,000 views from 45 different states and 18 countries. This year's conference will premiere on August the 12th with best-selling author Tony Evans, Ben Mandrell, president of Lifeway, and David Kinneman, the president of the Barna Group. We also have learning communities that are set up throughout Georgia, which exist to help you finish the task of leading your family in ministry well. You can see our website to find one near you. Also, every Thursday at 3 p.m., you can catch this broadcast through Facebook, Instagram, or multiple podcast platforms. Now, let's join today's broadcast. Hey, friends, Scott Sullivan here. Thank you for engaging with us. I'm the Discipleship Catalyst at the Georgia Baptist Mission Board, and I am joined today with Dr. P.J. Dunn, our Southwest Discipleship Consultant, and uh awesome person extraordinaire. And we also have Meredith Harris. Her- Meredith is a new friend of mine. Now she's a marketing consultant, a super good friend of PJ's. Now she's working with different churches of all sizes to help them achieve their goal of engaging in ministry through things like social media. So we uh, are super glad, Meredith, that you are joining us today for this broadcast. Um, let me let me kick us off, okay? I was listening to a podcast and John Ramstead was speaking. So probably didn't mean anything to y'all, but he was a fighter pilot. Now, he, the plane he flew was the Top Gun plane, you know, that Tom Cruise was on. Uh, super cool. He's telling these stories, and, and he talked about when he would land on the carrier, he had a runway that was 45 feet long and 20 feet, 20 feet wide, and the tail hook on the end of his plane had a 10-foot margin that that hook had to catch to stop him from crashing at the end. And I was just, you know, enthralled by that. But here's what I was thinking, Meredith. Our pastors and our leaders and PJ, really even our team, I feel like that's where we've been the last 12 months. We had a Mm -hmm. small margin, a small runway to learn this whole social media, internet, getting online. How do we engage that way? What do we do with people? How do we do training? How do we do service? How do we do worship? And I was thinking about that and the book that we've been reading, PJ, with our team, uh, Nana Jones is the author, From Social Media to Social Ministry, A Guide to Digital Discipleship. Man, that has really helped us. So uh, PJ and I were just talking, hey, what if we uh, just take the concepts of the book, talk with Meredith through this? Not necessarily, you know, PJ, we're not promoting the book. We're not promoting Nana. We don't even know her, but the concepts in it genuinely helped us. So Meredith, here's my first question. Sure. Can you walk us through the difference in the social media platforms and the main use of them? Because there's a lot of people like me that have made these shifts. I wasn't a social media native. I'm, I'm, I'm late 40s. I didn't get the whole thing. I leaned on PJ Dunn to help us get all this stuff done. So help them, which is going to be thousands that have the same question. 
Absolutely. Well, that is a great metaphor, talking about the plane and having just a very short fraction of a time in order to capture your community and your, your listeners, your followers. Uh, what a great metaphor. When we talk about social media platforms, we really have to put them into two different categories. You're going to have your broadcast media, which is more of a one-way street. I am getting content out there to my listeners, to my followers, and that's kind of where the conversation ends, uh, just getting content out there. And then you've got your more social media, which is I'm going to engage more with my followers, with my, with my listeners, with my uh, users, and they're going to engage with each other. Uh, so if we look at different platforms, let's take YouTube, for instance, that's definitely a broadcast media. You've got content creators who are pushing out videos, who are, um, you know, music, uh, all kinds of stuff to listeners. And people really use that as a search engine. If you really think about it, anytime you go onto YouTube, we're not trying to um, find our friends or, or, you know, create relationships. We go onto YouTube to say, oh, what's the new Chris Tomlin song? Let's see the music video for that. Uh, so really that's how that's used is, is a search engine and that's a broadcast media. Um, well, and I'm going to interrupt you and just say no. that I used it to learn how to change a wiper blade on my truck the other day. So it was yeah. not even something super spiritual. Like that's, that's where I went to go find that. Funny thing, I tried to use it the other day to get my locked keys out of my truck. Um, <laughs> did really it work? work out. It did not. It did not. Okay. <laughs> but that's that's what we use YouTube for. It's a search engine. We're trying to find either how to or we're trying to just get entertained from this visual media platform. Other visual media platforms, we're looking at uh, Snapchat, TikTok. Those are definitely, here's something funny or something silly or some dance I'm doing. And let's get this out to all of my followers and they can like it, they can comment on it. Uh, that's really where the conversation stops. Uh, Instagram is kind of a hybrid of social media and broadcast media. You've got your visual elements, your videos, your your images, and you're trying to get them out to your followers. And they do comment. They do, um, you know, tag people in the comments. They do, uh, you know, react to it and everything. And sometimes people will have a little bit of conversation, but not a lot. It really kind of stops short of what true engagement is on the platform. Twitter, Twitter, we can kind of think of as microblogging. We've got a couple of sentences. This is what I think about a certain subject and I'm just gonna blast it out there and everybody can like it or they can uh, retweet or they can comment on it. And that's really where it ends, right, right. But when you really think about it, Facebook is truly the only true social media platform of engaging users. Yeah, and okay, so that's that's a um, that's kind of a, a walk down all these different platforms. And churches may or may not be using all of them. You know, their their first need when the pandemic hit was, I just need to get Sunday sermon out so that people can watch it because they're all at home. I got to figure it out. I got my cell phone out with bat. I mean, down here in Southwest Georgia, like we just don't have great cell phone reception in some places, so that was an issue. And and we worked through all these different things, but but it really was about that one way. Um, communication. So that was a really good way to, to describe that. Um, and that they're all different. It's not just the same, you know, and, mm -hmm. and for so many of us, we may only engage with one of those platforms and we just assume that's all the same, or we hear something negative about one of the platforms and we're like, yeah, don't use that. But I mean, there was a time when we all did MySpace, but right. I don't know if we all did it, but I would love to know if in the chats, if you did MySpace back in the day, 
Um, I definitely had a shirt like that. You look better on my space. Anyway, I could, we can't talk about that. All right. So Meredith, what is it then about um, Facebook that just makes it the, the only true social media platform? Absolutely. It all comes down to the intention behind Facebook is building friends. And think about it. The moment you get on the platform, what's the first thing that you do? You, you get friends, you invite friends, you accept friend requests. And then what's the first thing that you see in your newsfeed? Your posts from your friends, uh, videos, pictures, uh, status updates, all from your friends, your family, groups that you're actively engaged in. That's the main uh, piece. That's exactly what Facebook was created to revolve around is building those relationships. Um, and that's the main purpose of the engagement is engagement between users. Um, so that's an excellent way to reach our users, reach our followers, is to remember that this is all based around relationships. Um, and a lot of people may think, well, Facebook is just for the older crowd. You know, the new kids, the, the young ones, the, the hip ones, they're, they're not on Facebook. That's not um, where they gravitate toward. Actually, people under the age of 34 make up 63% of Facebook users. That's huge. That's huge. So people are on the platform. And that's definitely where we need to be. Yeah, and sometimes you think it's it, it is something, but data really does drive the conversation here. And and there are a lot of young people on here, and um, you know, and, and it's evolved over the years. So what we used Facebook for, and I'd love to get your thought on this too. Um, you know, we used Facebook. So Facebook used to ask us questions. It would be like today I feel like, and then you'd answer it. And so I'm getting my daily. You know, this is what your memories are, PJ. And I'm like, well, I don't have them without you, Facebook. So let me try to remember it. So I remember my memories and I have the weirdest statuses from 14 years ago. So like, how did that evolve so much, Meredith, you think over the last 15 years? Goodness, Facebook is so good about keeping up with its user base and figuring out how they use the platform and how they need to change their algorithms in order to make better use of the platform. So if they see that people are, oh, people are much more into videos. Well, we're going to um, reward content in videos with more impression. Um, we can see that this content creator has a lot of really good engagement with this one particular post. Well, we're gonna send more impressions of that post out to the rest of their followers. Um, they're, just, they're just so good at, uh, testing the waters and seeing how people are using the platform and opening up more doors and ways to better enhance the platform. And there, there's thousands and thousands of layers of algorithms going on behind what you see in your newsfeed every single day. Um, and that's why they're, they're so big and they're so good at what they do is because they've got a lot of data and they're listening to all the data for sure. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's really good. Now, now Meredith, you don't know my story, but when I came here, um, I sold a house that Elizabeth and I called our forever home and, um, you know, and literally never lived in the house. The day I was supposed to move in is the day I moved to Georgia. And I remember she took like 20 pictures. Fabulous. She's an incredible photographer. She put it on Facebook on a Sunday night and by two by Tuesday morning. So this is, you know, day and a half. It had 665 shares on that on, on that on my uh, Facebook page of wow. the of the house that was the first time that I realized the magnitude of what could be done of how people could be reached mm -hmm. and the exponential factor of impact through through Facebook so here's my question for you just with that in mind mm -hmm. how can pastors 
of all size churches, large, small, medium, how can they see Facebook as a means to reach their local community? Great question, great question. It's important to remember that your local community is on Facebook. We may sometimes get into the idea of thinking, oh, I'm, I'm kind of in a rural area. I'm not, I'm not really in an area where people are on Facebook. That's statistically not true. Eight out of 10 Americans are on Facebook and using it actively every day. Eight out of 10, that's 80% of Americans are actively using the platform every single day. If, if we knew that 80% of our community was going to show up in one specific spot every single day, um, wouldn't you want to have a, a presence there? Wouldn't you want to be showing up there, shaking hands, welcoming people, saying hi, and getting to know people? That's essentially what Facebook is. Uh, your community is on there. So it's important to realize that is a great resource to tap into and that we should be reaching our people where they are. Um, it's a part of their everyday lives. It's part of their routines. They already know the platform. They already know how to like, comment, post, share. So it's not something that we have to teach them. We don't have to show someone, here's something new and here's how you engage, here's how you use this platform. They're already doing it. So uh, why not show up right there for them? And that can be a really active way that we, we can engage in ministry uh, to our community close by us. That's and, huge. So the follow-up question has to be then, if, if, that's being, if that being true, how do we combat the idea that if you stream online, people aren't going to come in person. Because I can't tell you how many times I've heard that, even as even as late as this past week, talking yeah. with a pastor, and he said, "Man, we're just not going online because you know we we know there are a lot of our people just going to watch at home. They're not going to come in person." Right, 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 and that that can be difficult to work through. It's important to remember, though, if they're not coming in person, it's not necessarily because they're sitting at home in their PJs and engaging. It's because they haven't found that community. They haven't found that, uh, that purpose to engage. It's also really important to remember that the church is not a building. It's the people within the building, right? And so if we want to create community to foster these relationships, we have to think of our online ministry is just as important as our in-person ministry. The people that we're seeing online they, they're people too. They are just as worthy of this ministry. They, they need Jesus too. They need help. They need love. They need that interaction. They need those relationships. So by all means, we do need to be reaching out to them in the online venue, just as much as we are in the in-person venue. I agree. And Meredith, and what we do as a team, you know, we're interacting with thousands of people. And, and I guess from my perspective, what I see here is the churches or the pastors who are pressing their people to, to come back. Because the reality is some of the folks are, are still um, emotionally not at the place where they can go in public and they're comfortable with just being with people. I know we make the yeah. argument, oh, you go to a ball game and you go to Walmart and, and all those right. kind of things. But, you know, but people can control their interaction in a lot of those places. But sitting in a pew beside people with singing and, and so I kind of get it, right? But what I'm seeing is a, a lot of the churches are pressing their people and making them feel bad, the guilt factor of not coming, I'm seeing them lose traction with mm -hmm. their online audience and with their people who haven't come back yet. But the pastors who are loving them and mm -hmm. caring for them and just giving them opportunities and saying, listen, man, when you're ready, I want to see you. You know, just 
loving them in that way, man, those are the ones that are endearing people and that are creating a base where people will come back. PJ? Yeah. And, and um, needing volunteers to do that. When you were talking to Meredith, I was thinking, you know, we almost have to set this free. You know, every time we try to control something and say, this is the program and this is the way it has to be. And, but with social media, the more real you are, the better, the less you talk at people and the more you talk with people, it's mm. easy. And we all get in that game. We want to, we want to see the reactions. We want to see the shares. We want to see, but, but really that's the ones we focus on when we say that aren't the ones that do it. It's the one where you post pictures like Scott, y'all did. And then it goes viral and you're like, what's viral? You know, but okay. Two years ago, we didn't know what viral is. Now we have to mask up when we say the word, but, but, but yeah, I'm, I mean, it's just, it's interesting how that all changes. And Scott, I want to know your perspective a little bit on that. You know, what, what have you learned in social media uh, through our Georgia Baptist group? You know, this group was, you know, just a handful of people maybe 15 months ago, right? Less than a hundred. And now, now we have nearly 2,400 people and we're engaging. What have you learned through that? Yeah, it's really exploded and been one of the really a fun journey for me and for our team. So first thing I would say right there, PJ, is that this is, uh, in my opinion, the greatest opportunity for change in the local church that I've seen in my lifetime. You know, that Latin phrase, carpe diem. I think we've got to seize the day and move the needle as the Holy Spirit leads. I, I'm not a fan of changing things just to change them. But when there's a strategic purpose and we're headed in a, in a biblical goal, I think this is the best time to make those changes. And there's a lot of grace among our church members to do it. Second thing I would say is that many of our leaders who were closed to the idea of using media in the past and seeing it as evil, they're now becoming more open to it, to its usefulness and are seeing the, the potential of kingdom impact there. And I was just thinking this this morning, with every, think, think about this with me, Meredith and PJ, with every new revolutionary communication tool or breakthrough, right? We've seen significant movements of God, the printing press, radio, television, internet, and, and, and now the social media. I just believe that we must maximize the opportunity. Not, not call it out as, as from the devil, because the reality is we know there's, there's evil in it. We know there's negative portions to it. Right. But man, there is potential to reach the world and make disciples. And here's the third thing I'll see right there, PJ. I think there's a rare sweet spot where capability, which is mass communication, need, which is this pandemic, post-pandemic world and declining culture, and then awareness, where we're realizing what we've been doing ain't working. I think there's a rare sweet spot that we are entering right now. And I think this is the carpe diem. I think this is the seize the moment because these things have converged. I think the Lord knew it and he's brought mm -hmm. us to this point. Yeah, I, I am. I'm interested in what, you know, how your view of social media really truly has changed through your lifetime, Scott. I know, I know for me, like I was joking about like how I posted, but I do post differently. Now I love posting pictures of my family traveling around Southwest Georgia, but you know, I, I, I probably do less selfies, but I don't do less selfies. I probably post less is maybe mm -hmm. a way of saying that before it was almost like, hey, I need to update today. I haven't updated today on Facebook. And now it's like, those aren't big events. Let's post the big ones every once in a while that that are really me showing you know how God has loved us or has blessed us or how this is a really cool moment and I want to share those but I genuinely think the opposite 
um, than I did 10 years ago, which was I need to post more to be relevant. And now I think mm -hmm. I need to post less to be more relevant. So what's the journey been like for you on that? Well, I tell you two different sides of that. One is the personal side. I mean, growing up in Louisiana, all of our family, all of our friends are all uh, were there coming here. We didn't have any family. So social media now for us, it's just a lot more fun. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm able to see my parents who are now in their approaching their mid seventies and what they're doing to create a garden. And they're trying to figure out how to get a, how you get a hole in that black sheet in the ground where I can get the plant in there without, you know, all this kind of stuff. So I can keep, and it's just fun. It's a lot more fun now than what it was. Now, professionally, um, this has been an explosion for me in my mind because exponentially, there's exponentially larger view of the possibilities of how God could use it than what it was. Man, I was local church. I was in the local church three decades and um, I was, I was tired. Uh, my life was packed with that, what I call the to done list. Mm -hmm. It's not to do, it has to get done. So at the end of the day, if you're not done, you just got to keep doing until it gets done. And I was, man, my bandwidth to think beyond borders was diminished when you live and you serve like that. And honestly, um, one of the major strengths of our Georgia Baptist discipleship team is that we think beyond borders. We now, I'm on this side of it, and I realize we have to build in the mental capacity in the time where we think beyond borders, but that's what we do with our pastors and leaders and help them think beyond borders and then implement those biblical strategies to move the needle as we all seek to make world impacting disciple makers. Mm -hmm. So good. Now, Meredith, branching from that, I've got, mm -hmm. a, I've got a thought here that I'd love to, to pitch to you. How do churches stay focused on the long-term goal of social media engagement? Because listen, we're in the moment. We're in that, what I call the oh crud moment. What do we do? Everybody's flocking. They're, they're working on this. Yeah. But how do we stay focused on that long-term goal of social media engagement and not just chase those reactions of the this week's post and go after that single like? Oh, so true. So true. You know, it, it's such an easy trap to fall into, right? Of I've got to have all the likes. I've got to have all the reactions. I've got to have all these comments. You know, what are these metrics going on? Really, really, and honestly, community is key. Mm -hmm. We can have a million followers. We can have a million likes, a million hearts, a million, whatever the case may be. But if our followers aren't building relationships and growing in their walk with the Lord, it does not matter. We can think of this, though, as a weight lifted off of our shoulders. This is a good thing. We don't have to spin our wheels trying to chase after these likes and trying to chase after these followers. And my ministry, my Facebook page is failing because I don't have a thousand likes yet. No, stop. No, this is a good thing. We are seeking to reach people and not necessarily all, all the likes and all the all the followers. Um so really, that's a good thing. That's a weight off of your shoulders. Lean into that. Also, lean into your groups, your Facebook groups. Um, that is really, really a great way to build those relationships, to get the conversation starting. And then once you've got relationships forming, that's really the place where discipleship starts, right? Like once we can get users engaged with us, then we can get users engaged with each other. And then that's, that's where... Um, the magic happens. That's where uh, discipleship grows. So in your groups, in your Facebook groups, um, your engagement can be started from sharing thought-provoking questions, having the conversation uh, take root there, and then let the spirit take the reins. 
you know, the Lord will do what he will do. Um, just share, share a thought provoking question and then let people answer, let people comment, let people engage with each other. Um, ask for prayer requests and then, then ask for your group members to pray for each other. You will be amazed at the kind of conversations that happen after that. If they start praying for each other, that's, that's the church being the church even in the online realm. Uh, once they do that, then, then you're asking disciples to make disciples. And that, it's a beautiful thing. It's wonderful when you can see that happen. Also, lean on your volunteers, uh, the people that are, are uh, posting on your behalf, on um, who are you know, answering questions, starting discussion, lean on them. Make sure that you've got some specified disciple makers in the group um, and then allow them again allow them to be the church. We ask our, our church members to, you know, spread the love of Jesus wherever you are. If you're at school, at work, at the grocery store, at the bank, whatever that is, be a light in the community around you. Facebook is no different. So we are asking our, our fellow uh, church family to be the light wherever they are, even in the Facebook platform. That's great perspective, Meredith. Yeah. And we love the idea of of community, man, that's mm -hmm. our language. And, and on our, these, these groups and, and on our broadcast, moving people to what we call that second phase engagement, which is relational. And they're mm -hmm. building the connecting with the church through the digital. Um, and I just love the concept there. And I'm, based on that, PJ, I wanna pitch one more question to you before I wrap this up here. We've seen some churches who are, who are engaging in the chats and engaging in their worship service that are online that are doing that pretty well. So for the pastor who, you know, most of them are online now, so that's not necessarily the question anymore, but there's still a big question of what we do once we get online, that how do we engage them better or for that second phase in, in investment? So what would you say to particularly the small, medium church pastor who just says, listen, I can't do it all. I can't preach, you know, get it online and engage in the chat and create those relational engagements like that. What would you say to that pastor in terms of how he can do that well through his church membership? So, so many of the things that we do in ministry, we end up saying the same thing. Well, if the pastor is the only one doing it, then is it going to be able to get done? It's the same concept of why uh, the prayer ministry is not going to get done or why the pews won't get cleaned. Um, your social media will never take off if you don't empower somebody to do it. And it can be a 13-year-old. It doesn't have to be, you know, so it can be a 90-year-old that has time to sit on the computer and respond to every single person and say, well, that was that was serious. And they send them a private message and say, now, how can I pray for you on that? And, you know, pastors, uh, uh, many of the, our guys, a third of our guys down here are bivocational pastors. And they're thinking, this is one more thing that you want me to do. You want me to be online on top of studying and everything else, but it's not. It's just one more thing that we can set people free to do. Yeah. And that's a different conversation because setting people free to do what God has called them to do is great. There are so many people that are native to social media by generation, maybe like Meredith and I and this millennials, but there are people that are just inclined to it. You know, let them be those people. We've seen in our group, Scott, the more that we've empowered um, and, and said, okay, let's just see what happens. And engagement's gone through the roof and people are finding value in it. We're, we're seeing people share, um, this is what I do in my church to uh, reach a first time believer. And here's a file. Let me share that with you. And we're like, this is amazing. This is happening on its own. Pastor, you can do the same thing. You just have to have a person. You don't need a Meredith. You don't need a PJ and you don't need a Scott. And you, you don't need 
the pretty graphics. You don't have to have all those things because those aren't what's going to drive people. What's going to drive people is people that love people and they figure out how to do that online and people are attracted to that. So good. So good. Dr. PJ Dunn, you're a beast, buddy. Thank you for all that you do. Meredith, we appreciate you coming on, sharing your wisdom with us. Uh, and, uh, and pastors, look, if you have further, because we know we just opened up a lot, a box of, of questions and further engagement and you're like, hey, that sounds pretty good. But if you, if you have other questions, put them in the chat. Let us know where you're watching from. And as we always do, we're going to give away free swag. So make sure you leave a comment because that's how you'll get into the drawing for some free product. But I know uh, Meredith would love to interact with you further in the chat. And she'll even put her mm -hmm. contact in there if you've got offline conversations that you'd like to have with her. Now, friends, here's the reality. Our members are on social media daily. Yes, it's negative. Yes, there are some painful and some, some things we've got to be careful of. Uh, but so does every other activity that our church members engage in, and if they're not in the right priority list. So engaging them on social media is a new way to love them where they are, to make a connection, to move them toward a pathway of spiritual health in Christ. And look, our Georgia Baptist Discipleship team is here to help you with that journey. So if we could serve you, please let us know. Thanks for engaging. Leave a comment, leave a question. If you found this helpful, we hope that you will share it. That'll help us maximize the gospel and as we make disciples. And we pray as we always do, that you will reinvest the gospel seed that was shared with you as we seek to make world impacting disciple makers. Thanks for listening to Georgia Baptist Discipleship Podcast. And we want to give you a gift. The five discipleship shifts most churches need to make to produce world-impacting disciple makers. You can get this by going to ministryboom.com forward slash the number five discipleship shifts.com. That's ministryboom.com forward slash the number five discipleship shifts.com. This five-page PDF is a discipleship alignment checklist that may surprise you. It will help you learn why programs are killing your discipleship, the number one default worker strategy that keeps churches from empowering their ministries. Learn the OGV factor and how it can revolutionize discipleship, attendance, and evangelism in your church. Again, go to ministryboom.com forward slash the number five discipleship shifts the Georgia Baptist Mission Board is able to provide resources like this because of gifts from Georgia Baptist to the cooperative program. For more information on this broadcast and a customized discipleship plan for your church, visit gabaptist.org forward slash discipleship. And by the way, if you found this content helpful, we sure hope you'll share it with a friend. And thanks so much for partnering with us to make world-impacting disciple-makers. <music>